and then it's back to me. But we will have fun this morning, I somewhat promise. Romans 15, and we're continuing our study here through the book of Romans. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to hopefully finish up Romans 15. And then that leaves us only with one more chapter left here in the book of Romans. And Romans 16 is Paul's final thoughts, obviously through the Spirit. And there's a lot of neat things there as Paul says his final things. Now, Paul is a classic example of a pastor that doesn't know to look at a clock when to quit. Because if you look at the end of verse 33, it ends with the word, Amen. You think he's done, but then you get to verse 20 of Romans 16 and he says, Amen again. And to 24 he says, Amen. And then to 27 he says, Amen. So... Just because you get to amen here at the end of verse 33, Paul still has another chapter left of things he wants to say. Now, continuing our study here through the book of Romans, and what a blessing it is. What a blessing today's been, I tell you. It's been great to have the youth get up there and uh, do the worship. What a blessing that was. And so thankful to have Kevin and Becca and John help fill in with some stuff there. And what a huge blessing it was. So hopefully the blessing continues here as we get a chance to see what God has to say. Without much further ado, let's have a quick word of prayer before we start. Heavenly Father, it is good to be here this morning, and uh, a lot of things going on. Lord, we just want to pray and just give you these things, especially the lesson here, that your spirit would lead and guide and teach. You teach, we listen. Lord, we want to pray for just the upcoming Belmore VBS and just things like that, Lord, that your hand would be upon that. Um, Lord, we pray for this heartbeat, Bill. Just pray for your favor to be upon that. And Lord, as always, we just want to pray for our nation, for godly wisdom and direction, and just for all of the men and women serving in the military, just your hand of safety to be upon them, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Romans 15, starting in verse 14. It says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are all full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you in some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, real quick. When I first read through this, I see verse 14, and he talks about that idea of being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. And I was thinking about this. I think it was Billy Graham where I first heard this, where Billy Graham made a comment to the point that everybody has a God-shaped hole inside of them, and that they're looking for something to fill that God-shaped hole. And the only thing that can fill a God-shaped hole is what? The Lord himself. And that there's this constant search to be full of knowledge, to be full of goodness, like verse 14 says. And this is something we are doing constantly, looking for the Lord. This is one thing I've noticed in the 12 years I've been out here as a pastor. I've had people that say they're atheists call me up and ask for prayer because eventually they realize there's something missing. We've had people that have spent their whole life rejecting church, rejecting the concept of God, then on their deathbed say, hey, I want a pastor to come. That there's a search for something. They want to be full of goodness. They want to be filled with all knowledge. They want that. They want that. So what is our job then as believers, as a pastor, as Christians? is to present to them the gospel and all that we do and say. You're going to hear that word gospel so much this morning because that's really what it all comes down to. But part of presenting the gospel is also this word right here in verse 14, admonishing one another. Admonishing is one of those Bible words. We don't really use it in our everyday language. I ask yourselves, when's the last time you used the word admonish in just everyday speech? You don't. Admonish means to warn. One translation, I believe is the NIV, has it as the word instruct. I think a better wording there is warn. To admonish means to warn somebody. It doesn't mean that they've necessarily done something wrong. You're not rebuking them, but you're warning them. You're going up to them and saying, listen, I'm concerned about you. If you continue down this path, it's going to cause problems. It's going to hurt you. It's going to harm you. So I'm admonishing you. I'm warning you. Don't do it. Turn, if you will, with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to build on this for a second. 1 Thessalonians 5. Our job is to admonish 
to warn, to point people in the right direction. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he uses this word. And you see it there in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. It says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you. See, that's my job. My job is to warn you. Now, it's not a fun job. It's not a lot of fun at all to go up to someone and say, Hey, listen, you've really been heavy on the heart and, I, and I'm concerned. Because this is sometimes how the conversations go. Well, am I doing anything wrong? No, no, you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. But I just see things not going as good as they could. Well, if I'm not doing anything wrong, what difference does it make? Because I'm here to admonish you. I'm here to warn you that if you continue down this path, it's going to hurt your life, your witness, your marriage, your kids, fill in the blank. Now, a mature believer hears that, accepts that, and moves on. An immature believer gets their feathers ruffled, and then they get all upset. But if I love you enough to care for you, I love you enough to admonish you, to warn you. Verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourself. Now we encourage you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. That's what we're supposed to do, verse 14. If we see somebody that's unruly, we're supposed to warn them that that behavior will cause problems. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Part of what we do is to warn people when spiritually things are not going the way they're supposed to go. And it's done out of love, it's done out of concern. I shared with the, the group on Wednesday that we got this uh, puppy a couple months ago, and we've been training the puppy with our wireless fence at home, and we got the flags up. We're training this cute little thing. Now, the way that this thing works, obviously, is if you cross the line with the flags, you get zapped. That's the way it works. If you've ever been zapped by one of those things, you know it hurts. And I know from personal experience because I zapped myself to see what it feels like. That's another story for another day, but I did. But now, to keep it from getting zapped, what happens is, as the dog gets near the boundary of the wireless fence, the collar starts to beep. That collar starts to beep to warn the dog. If you continue on, you're going to get zapped. So now when we take the dog out and she gets near the uh, flags, the collar starts to beep, she turns and goes back towards the house. That beeping is an admonishment. It's warning her. Don't go near the flags. If you go near the flags, you're going to get shocked, which is a rebuke. No one wants to get rebuked. So take the admonishment, take the warning, hear the beep, and get back. Same thing spiritually. We love you enough to say, hey, be careful. Now look at verse 14 here of 2 Thessalonians 5. We're supposed to do this with patience. I know people that like to admonish people. And they like to do it as a power trip. No. I love you enough. I care for you enough to warn you when things aren't going right spiritually. And the truth of the matter is I hope you love me enough and care about me enough to warn me if you see something in my life. So jump back now to Romans 15. Now that we understand what this word admonish means, how are we supposed to do it? Well, it says there in verse 15 that we're supposed to do it boldly, that I can boldly go to you and say, this is what the Scripture says. You're in a dangerous place right here, right now, and I care enough about you to say, be careful. I can do that boldly, and I also do it how in verse 15? By reminding you. Most of the time when we come on a Sunday morning and hear the teaching, it's not something new and amazing that you've never heard before. It's usually a constant reminder. For those that grew up and went to uh, Patrick Henry, and if you ever had Mr. Krager and you're, as a teacher, you know he had that sign up in his classroom that said, repetition teaches a donkey. That idea of constant repetition. That's why the Bible constantly warns us on loving people, being patient, and staying away from sin. What we're doing in verse 15 is constantly reminding you, because why? I've tasted the grace given to me by God. I care enough about you. You care enough about me. And I'm reminding you boldly, be careful. Why? Because verse 16, I'm a minister of Jesus. I'm a minister of the gospel. And I want to, at the end of verse 16, present you acceptable to God. 
I want to be able to stand before the Lord and says, as your friend, as your brother, and as your pastor, I did what I could through the Spirit to help you become the brother or sister in the Lord that God has wanted you to be. And that means I will admonish you boldly. I will warn you. I will care for you. I will pray for you because I love you. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, you may stop right here and think, well, I'm glad that's your job and not my job. But this word in verse 16, minister, you remember when we went through our study in Timothy last year? The word minister just means servant. And one of the phrases we said is every member is a minister. Every person in the body of Christ is a minister. Now, we think of the term minister and we think of pastor, etc. That's not what that word is. You are a minister. I am a minister. So we're all ministers. I'm a minister of the gospel of God. I'm a minister of Jesus Christ. And I'm also a pastor at Harvest Fellowship. You guys are ministers as well. So that means you have that biblical responsibility as a minister of Jesus, as a minister of the gospel, to say, I care for whoever is in my circle of life here, to say, I want to see them go deeper in the Lord. So therefore, sometimes you may have to do the admonishing. You may have to speak boldly to somebody. You may have to go to someone and remind them of what they're supposed to be doing. And you need to do that with patience and love. Your heart's desire is to see everybody filled with knowledge and goodness. See, here's the problem. We've kind of got church backwards. We think of church as I show up at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, I listen to some worship, we listen to announcements, we do a little bit of break, and then we listen to the message, and at 11.30 I go home. So the purpose of church is for me to come, get fed, and I leave. That's not really the purpose of church. The purpose of church is to bring together a bunch of believers corporately, to have a corporate time of worship, a corporate time of prayer, and to have that time where you get a chance to minister and serve others. In a perfect world... In a perfect world, and I know this doesn't happen, but in a perfect world, I would like you guys to leave here today thinking, gosh, we finished Romans 15. I wonder where James is going next week. Oh, I bet he's going to Romans 16. So I'll take some time this week and I'll read through Romans 16 so that way the Lord is already preparing my heart for what he's going to say through the message, through the Spirit, so that way when I come into church next week, I've already read Romans 16 and I know where God may be going. And I hope that when you come in to harvest, you don't sit here and say, first thing you do is you walk in the sanctuary and say, someone's sitting in my spot. Don't they know that's my spot? I hope you don't say that. I hope you look around. I hope you look around and I hope you see somebody that you haven't seen in a while and you say, you know what? I want to go over and minister to them because I've missed them. Or maybe you see somebody that's new and you've never met before. You say, I want to go minister to them. That the purpose of us coming together is for you to have that time to minister to other people. To say, how can I serve them? How can I pray for them? How can I get involved with their lives to help them go deeper in their walk in relationship with Christ? That's why we have that fellowship time, that break time. Now, part of the reason why on Wednesday nights we do that prayer request time. And I know on Wednesday nights that prayer requests take a long time. But we feel it's important publicly for people to say, hey, pray for my fill-in-the-blank. You may have never met that cousin, that aunt, that friend, whatever, but if it's important to them, then as a body, we'll pray for them. You may have people at work that you said, you know what, I'll have my church pray for you. Well, then Wednesday night, you have that time publicly to say, hey, I want to lift up this coworker to let them know that we said we'll pray for them. That is us being a body, ministering to one another, coming together and that's what it's supposed to be. So you're a minister of Jesus. You're a minister of the gospel. You're called to admonish people, boldly remind them. Does this lead to a power trip? Of course not. We'll go to verse 17. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus, 
and the things that which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. And mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about till Elcurium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So, is the power trip there? No, it's not us. The glory is the Lord, verse 17. I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things that would pertain to God. It's not about us, it's about him. Everything that happens to him be the glory. We've talked about this earlier on in Romans, that there's this mindset sometimes. Well, the Lord saved me because he knew I would really be useful to do fill in the blank. He knew I could really lead worship well. He knew I could really teach that Bible study well. He knew I could really serve in the back. And so the Lord said, I'm going to save me, save that person so that way I could really use them. No, the Lord can use anybody, anywhere, at any time. Everybody is replaceable. Everybody. One of the basic examples of that in the Bible is when Moses died and Joshua took over. Moses was one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever saw. Moses dies, the same Holy Spirit that led Moses led Joshua. Joshua takes over and moves on. Everybody's replaceable. And so when you know that everybody's replaceable, God gets the glory because it's not about us. It's not about us. If the Lord takes somebody down from a ministry, he'll move somebody else into that puzzle piece place. When the Lord says, hey, it's time for this person to move on, I'll move somebody else into that. Everybody is replaceable. That's kind of the neat part about the body of Christ. It's not about us. The glory is found in Christ Jesus. The glory is found in God. And when you have that mindset, you realize, I'm really not that important. And that's a good thing. I was joking about this at the 830 service, and I'll share this real quick. One of the things I like to do when I get all the boys in the van and Dawn's still waiting to come into the vehicle is I like to get the boys, and Dawn's not in yet, and I'll say to the boys, okay, let's go, let's leave her. You know, it's, I, it's just my sense of humor. Maybe it's not funny to you. The boys find it funny. To a T, every single time they say, yeah, Dad, let's leave her, let's leave her. And so what happens is I always say to the boys, yep, everybody's replaceable, Mommy's replaceable, and then we pretend to go. So what, it's kind of funny, just bear with me. And so what happened is yesterday we went to the zoo and we took one of our, uh, my family members with me. And so Dawn wasn't in the vehicle, so I start out with, guys, let's leave her, let's leave her. Everybody's replaceable. And I realized this person was in the van and then they saw that and I thought, how embarrassing. And how, how, so everybody's replaceable except for Dawn because she's perfect, la, 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 la. So point is, God gets the glory. It's not about us. It's not about us. Look at verse 18 one more time. I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. I'm not going to take glory for that. You know, what happens sometimes on a youth Sunday or a VBS Sunday or a Christmas program, I'll be back there shaking hands. People come up to me and say, wow, service was really good. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> that was all the Lord. That was them. That was the people that served, like Jonathan said, behind the scenes. So much goes on behind the scenes that people never know about. To God be the glory for that. One, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in 1 Samuel 13. And it's a story where the Israelites are getting ready to fight the Philistines. And Jonathan, who's Saul's son, decides to go on and start the battle. So he goes and fights the Philistines. And Jonathan gets this amazing victory over the Philistines. So Jonathan won this battle through his blood, sweat, and toil. He wins the battle. But the Bible says that Saul blows the trumpet of victory. And that's a picture of Saul being a man of pride. And if you know what happens to Saul's life, his pride destroys him and his kingdom. But that's a perfect example of someone else doing all the work, Jonathan, and Saul saying, I'll take the credit for it. God says that doesn't work. It's all about him and to him be the glory in all ways. Because what does it? 
What makes it work? What makes it come together? Verse 19. Mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. It's not us. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. The reason things work is because of verse 19. The mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. It has nothing to do with us in any way whatsoever. Paul says, it's not about me. It's about the gospel. Look at verse 20. I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. I cannot stress to you enough what matters is, are you saved or not saved? That's all that matters. Now, once you know you're saved, now take the next step in your life. If you're married, is your spouse saved or not saved? If you have kids, are your kids saved or not saved? If you're not married, what about your friends that you hang out with? What about your coworkers? It's all about the gospel. And that's the point that Paul is trying to stress in this chapter. It's all about whether people are saved or not saved. Too often in life, as churches and as individuals, we get worked up on little things that do not matter. They're worldly matters that we allow to take our time and energy and resources. And really what it comes down to is the eternity of whether someone is going to heaven or someone's going to hell. That is what truly matters in this world. So Paul is saying right here in verse 20, my whole aim is the gospel. It's not about me getting attention for what I've done. It's not about somebody noticing me and patting me on the back. It's not about that. It's about the gospel being spread. Verse 22, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there if first I might enjoy your company for a while. See, what, what a neat excuse. Now, if you remember way back when we started our, started our study in Romans, we talked about how Paul's heart's desire has been to go to Rome. He's wanted to see this church at Rome so bad, he's wanted to see these people. In verse 22, he goes, I've been hindered from coming. Why have I been hindered from coming? Because I've been so busy preaching the gospel, I haven't been able to come. Can you imagine that? What a wonderful excuse. Can you imagine somebody saying, hey, we're getting together next week. Would you like to come? I would love to come, but I'm so busy telling people about Jesus, I can't come. Hey, sorry, I missed your call the other day. I'm so busy telling people about Jesus, I, I couldn't take it. Wow. Paul says, I wanted to come, but I've been hindered because I've been so busy spreading the gospel that I haven't been able to go. Talk about a guy that had the eternal mindset of what really mattered. He realized the only thing that mattered is whether people are saved are not saved. I'm willing to bet for you that are here this morning, if you look back over your week, the times that you've gotten frustrated, the times that you've gotten upset, the times that your flesh has gotten rattled with your spouse, co-workers, kids, friends, family, I'm willing to bet not many of those were an eternal matter that dealt with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a fleshly thing that really didn't matter in the whole scheme of things. God help us to get our eyes on eternity. Help us to see the purpose of heaven and hell to get our eyes there. But before he can come, it says, verse 25, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in the material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So Paul says, hey, I'm going to come to you guys, but first I've got to swing by Jerusalem. Because there's these people in Macedonia and Achaia that got around this collection to go help Jerusalem. So I'm going to swing by Jerusalem and drop off this money gift to them, and then I'll be over to see you. Boy, that's Christianity in action. That's what it's supposed to be. Jerusalem was going through a tough time. We don't know what was happening, but they needed a love gift. So these people led by the Spirit in Macedonia and Achaia said, we're going to take up a donation. Hey, Paul, you're heading to Jerusalem. Can you drop this money off to the church in Jerusalem? It could really help them out a lot. I tell you, sometimes in life, 
Sometimes you're able to lend a hand. Sometimes you need a hand. Neither one's right. Neither one's wrong. Sometimes you're able to help people. Sometimes you need help. See, right here in Romans 15, Jerusalem needed help. I don't know what was going on. The Bible doesn't really say. But we know back in Acts chapter 2, when the church first started, Jerusalem was overflowing with blessings that they were collecting things up to go help other people out. So in the decades in between, Jerusalem went from being able to lend a hand to people to now needing a hand. See, what happens is a lot of times people come up and they'll say something and they're afraid to ask for help. And I look at this verse right here and it says in verse 27 that we as a church have a responsibility to minister not only to your spiritual needs, but also in material things as well. Turn with me to uh, James chapter 2, please. James chapter 2. James 2. We have a responsibility to also minister the material things, which is, is a nice plug. We do things like this. We try to. We have a, a needs ministry, a helps ministry where people can drop stuff off. And if there's daily necessities that you need, hygiene items, etc., we have packages that can be handed out. Here in just a month or so, we're going to be doing the garage sale giveaway. And if you're not familiar with that, what happens is people bring all their stuff in. You're going to James 2. People bring all their stuff into the church, and we'll set up the uh, fellowship hall back there. And there'll be a garage sale, but the catch is everything's free. And the whole point is, just like the gospel is free, this is free. So I love it when people come in and they get their items and they say there's no prices on them. Yeah, there's no prices. Everything's free. Now we say, what's the catch? There is no catch. Just like the gospel is free, this is free. And it's a great opportunity to serve. And one more plug, since we're going ahead and plugging things. If you feel led to help out with the garage sale giveaway, we actually need someone to help lead that up this year. So there you go. Now you can pray about it. Now you feel duly convicted. So, James chapter 2. Look here at verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Okay, I mean, it's great to go to somebody and say, God bless you. Oh, you really need help in this area? Well, God bless you. Well, maybe we can help. Now, there's a whole other teaching that goes with this of wisdom of knowing when to help, when not to help, and that's a whole other teaching. But the point of what we're saying here is that the responsibility of the church is to sometimes help out with those material things. It's to say, we're there. And what happens is people are always willing to say, hey, whatever I can do to help, I'm there. But it's amazing when people start going through a tough time, there's a lot of times where they don't. Why? I don't know. Maybe pride, what have you. I've always been the one to help. Well, now you're the one that needs a hand. That's why we're here. That's why we're here to help. Sometimes you've got an extra 20 in your wallet to give. Sometimes you need an extra 20 in your wallet. Whatever state you're in, you want to be able to be there to help. Because what it comes down to is if you see us, it says in verse 15, your brother or sister naked, destitute of daily food, what can we do to help with that? How can we be there to, to help pass that along? And sometimes it's just a little thing. Maybe it's not a big thing. One of the things I like to do, and I don't say this to bring attention to me, but I'm saying this is what I feel led and it works, is I carry around in my wallet little $5 gift cards to uh, McDonald's. So that way when I see that guy standing at the corner there of Walmart and it says, we'll work for food, I'll stop and I'll go and I'll say, I give this to you in the name of Jesus and the love of Jesus and I'll give you one of those little $5 Walmart, uh, excuse me, not Walmart, uh, McDonald's uh, cards. Nothing else, you can go to McDonald's and get five four-piece nuggets or something like that, you know. I will help out. Trying to spread that and making sure it's known that it's done in the love of Jesus. This is a neat example here of Romans 15 of Paul saying, hey, Jerusalem, at one time you were able to help others, now you need a hand. Macedonia and Achaia, they got a love gift for you. I'm going to swing by and drop that off to you. What a neat way to see the gospel actually in action. And that's what it comes down to. Look at verse 29. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. It's all about the gospel. That is all that matters. I just want to stress to you again. 
when we allow ourselves to get worked up by the things of the world, our focus is off eternity, and we're going to have discouragement in our lives. We're going to have cracks in the foundation of our lives because our focus is not going to be on the Lord. It's going to be on the things of this world. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't matter. It's the fullness of the gospel, verse 30. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now, the God of peace be with you all. See, when you see the emphasis is on the gospel, That's all that matters. So Paul says, if all that matters is the gospel, he says in verse 30, he goes, will you strive together with me in prayer? That word strive denotes effort, to lend a hand, to work at it. So often people come up and say, what can we do? Well, you can pray. But what else can I do other than pray? Boy, prayer is the best thing you can do. Usually we say at the church, well, prayer is the least we can do. Well, prayer is the most we can do. More is accomplished through prayer than what you can ever imagine. I cannot stress that to you enough. More is accomplished through prayer than what you can ever imagine. So when people come up and say, I have no purpose, I don't know what to do, how can I lead, how can I serve? Pray. Well, other than that, no, pray. There's a power in that. Paul is begging them. Look at that. I beg you, verse 30, strive together with me in prayer. Because Paul says, I want to see the gospel presented. And the only way I can see the gospel presented is if it's in my God's will. And I want to be in God's will. And I know I'm in God's will by you guys praying for me and seeking that. And so therefore, he knows that he's striving together for the gospel. And why does he have to strive? Why does it work? Because look at verse 31. There's some people that don't believe. Very simply, in life, there's those that support the gospel. And there's those that oppose the gospel. And so what happens is when you have people that support the gospel, hey, pray for me. We have people that oppose the gospel, but I always pray is very simply put, Lord, either save them or get them out of the way. I want to see them saved. And that's my first prayer is, Lord, I pray they come to know Christ. But if they're not going to know Christ, please remove them because they're a hindrance to things of eternity. They're a hindrance to things happening for the Lord. And this is what Paul is saying here. There's going to be people that don't believe. What is the result of when you have this focus on eternity in the gospel? Look at the end of this, verse 32. He has joy. He's refreshed. In verse 33, he has peace. Very simply put, take a look at your life, take a look at your marriage, take a look at your just wherever you're at in life right now. Do you not have much joy, refreshing, and peace? If you don't, quick question for you, is your priority the gospel? Because when you have your priority being eternity, I tell you right now, there will be joy, peace, and refreshing. But when your focus is the things of this world and you're getting worked up over things that are happening in life and people wronging you and hurting you and life not being fair, you will not have the joy, the peace, and the refreshing that God promises. That only comes when you have your focus on the gospel and all it says and does. Boy, keep that perspective. Am I saved? Okay, yes. Then what can I do to help other people either go deeper in their walk with Christ or to see them come to know Jesus? That was Paul's main focus. That's all that he cared about. One more time, look back at verse 20. I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. That's what matters in life. And when you have that mindset, you get the joy, the peace, and the refreshing. And I tell you, what a blessing that is. If they want to come forward here for the final song, just a couple quick reminders here. Just to remember, with Belmore VBS coming up, 